0: Hey everybody, how we doing? Let's give everything a couple of minutes to get settled. I'm going to disable this chat because there's been a couple of problems with it in the past. We also have a hard stop after 1 hour. Today, because I am completely out of gas. So I would strongly recommend anybody who's interested um, in asking questions tonight, jump into the queue, guys, because this is a good night to kind of get some questions answered. Um, We'll talk about Georgia, but there's a lot of other things to talk about, too. It looks like the Republican primary is starting to... Um, if not, I don't want to say take, take shape, but there's no question that it is starting to um, look more problematic for the former president, for Donald Trump. And in that environment, he's going to be attracting challengers kind of all day long. So, um, look, I'm not too sure how busy it's going to be during the holiday season. Let's go ahead and get started. It's five o'clock. I'm going to welcome everybody to the Mic Drop Colin podcast. Colin, of course, is a call-in show where you guys get to ask questions. Best way to do uh, a follow-up on previous episodes is to download the call-in application. But if you're not interested or inclined, by all means, uh, get this at your favorite uh, podcast locations, Apple, Spotify, um, wherever you get it, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm going to open up the caller's uh, chat, see some familiar faces tonight. So um, we should have good, a good round of uh, kind of chatting. So let me get started with Georgia, talk about it a little bit. I'm going to go over some of the exit polling data because there's some interesting stuff, kind of quasi-interesting, at least to me and probably to people like us. A lot of it obviously was very predictable. I was sharing with you guys that Georgia has always been in the same fundamental range as um a state that is moving towards a bluer position. This has been going on for the past six election cycles. I talked about this with the Abrams race in the summer um, and some of the anomalies that were happening there. I think you guys all know that I was saying Warnock would probably win by four or so. I think it's gonna come out to 2.7 or three. Um, Not terribly unlike what most of the prognosticators were saying and most of the polling data was saying. I think, in fact, the polling averages were pretty accurate and pretty uh, pretty dead on. So um, again, good news for science, um, good news for the industry, getting it right and affirming confidence in um, sort of the the polling profession, which I think is obviously a net positive, net bonus. Real quickly, let me run through why Georgia, um, I think has become a little bit more predictable. And I'm not gonna say reliably blue, right? Because Kemp wins that seat. Abrams, of course, falls apart. Um, but Warnock holds in a really pretty strong, tight range. Um, look, Georgia um, has some of the most diverse suburbs in all of America, uh, including places like California and New York. It's probably actually the most diverse area of suburban um, voters. If you look at Gwinnett, DeKalb, Kolb County, those Collar counties surrounding Atlanta, These communities are extremely diverse. A lot of college-educated people that are not necessarily white, upwardly mobile economically, and these college-educated voters are driving this shift away from the Republican Party. And you'll notice I said away from the Republican Party. I really wanna reiterate this again, and I'm gonna keep saying it because you're getting a lot of this narrative that somehow the Democrats did something that gave them a good night. That is, there's no evidence to suggest that. I know there's a lot of people saying you know, there's a, there's a validation of what the Democrats did or their, their geniuses are smart and God bless them, you know, b- believe that all they want. Hopefully it's good for their business or for their political aspirations. The truth is the Republicans just really suck. And, and it's really that simple. The Republicans are viewed as the extreme party, even places like Georgia, the deep south. They're losing voters. They're hemorrhaging voters. And if you look at the exit polls, which I'm going to talk about in just a little bit, it validates this point of view there was a lower turnout in the runoff than we anticipated, at least that I was projecting, that I was anticipating. If you look at the runoff from two years ago, the January uh, runoff after um, the November general election um, you, where Warnock wins, you saw an actually a higher turnout or, or in that same, that same general election range um, that you saw with a presidential turnout in, in the winter of, uh, of January, a special election in the South, Warnock wins that seat. The Democratic base remains animated. Trump screws stuff up, and you start to see a slight pullback on Republican voters. This is I'm talking about 2020, 2021 now. This is a little bit different, okay? Remember, um, as I shared in the 2022 cycle, Democratic base constituencies were down. Latino vote was down. African American vote was down. This was an older, wider, more Republican electorate in the general election. This in in um. In November, we have this special turnout was down from that November cycle, okay? So what that means is um, there's a very serious problem for Democrats historically in winning seats like this, and there's no surprise that this was probably why these laws were instituted in the first place, okay? The most pronounced one is Georgia. Georgia, of course, has changed considerably. But look, there's a lot of institutional reasons why Georgia implemented this runoff system in a state that is about, um, or historically has been about 20% African-American. They didn't want African-American representatives. That's just, that's just why they created those rules and they knew that the lower the turnout, the, the lower the likelihood that an African-American would be representing them. Of course, back then nobody ever envisioned that you would have an African-American Republican and an African-American Democrat competing against each other. But again, America changes like everything else changes. Um, Peggy is saying, I thought I saw a lower turnout in the runoff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Though that happened because the 2022 runoff was a two weeks after the November midterm election. Now, no, no, I mean, no. The, the, closer it's, it, the closer an election is to the actual original general election turnout uh, um, um, contest, the higher you can expect the turnout to be. We should have had much higher turnout uh, last night than we had. It should have been higher than we saw in the January turnout two years ago. The closer the, the runoff is to the actual general, the higher you should again put, put, um, you should uh, you should expect that t- turnout to be. That's why they push these things later, deeper away. The news cycle goes away. The political interest goes away. There isn't a national narrative about elections happening. It's more isolated to each state to each media market and the voter turnout goes down. Um, so anyway, that's uh, um, turnout, turnout remains this, this weird, sort of anomalous problem. So let me go through some of the AP exits to give you kind of a sense of how voters voted, okay? <clears throat> and this I thought was kind of fascinating, but I think it'll probably reiterate a lot of uh, what you guys already know. The first is um, 36% of white men voted uh thirty-five percent of white men voted for Warnock. No no surprise. But they're thirty-six percent of the electorate. White women, forty-five percent of the electorate voted for Warnock. That means white women voted fifty-three percent for Herschel Walker. Okay? Do with that what you will. 53% of white women voted for Herschel Walker. Whites, by the way, are the only ethnic racial group that voted for um Walker in a majority and, of course, combined, they, they, they make up about 70% of the overall electorate. So whites are going, are going to be dominant even in, in a deep southern state like Georgia. Uh, that's changing. It's changing faster in that state than anywhere else. But that's something that I think there needs to be some introspection on. But I'll leave that here for now. Black men, 82% vote for Warnock. Black women, of course, the most reliable Democratic constituency, both in terms of turnout and in terms of vote break, 88% vote for Warnock. Here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. Latino men, 5% of the electorate, 53% of them vote for Warnock. That means uh, 47, 45%, I guess there was another category in the exits, 45% of Hispanic men vote for Herschel Walker. Okay, so there's even more data. And again, I'm not gonna gonna argue the exactness or the preciseness of exit polling data, but this is a 55-45 split amongst Hispanic men 45% 45% voting for the Republican, those are big numbers. They're not little numbers, okay? This is happening everywhere. And, again, a lot of you guys I know follow kind of the more resistance types on the, the left, the progressive Twitter, you know, cheerleading sections of Twitter who are all going to say this is not true, it's not happening. This is yet another example of this shift right where this movement right in a state that we would not otherwise expect it. Um, <clears throat> Hold on one second, guys. I need a quick housekeeping item. Um, I'm going to go over the Hispanic women's numbers in just a second. <clears throat> um, 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 Hispanic women making up 6% of the electorate, just a little bit tad higher than Hispanic men. 66% vote for. Um, Warnock, 33% vote for Herschel Walker. So very significant gender gap in the Hispanic electorate. It is bigger than it is amongst whites. It's bigger than it is amongst African-Americans. It is continuing to grow, I think, in opposite directions amongst Hispanic voters. Hispanics, of course, the fastest growing segment of the electorate. And we need to keep that and be mindful of that dynamic. So having said that, um, I also want to make sure that we are... Um, Talking about the fact that um, although turnout was down, you saw uh, Warnock overperforming from November to December in the collard counties by about four to seven percent. Gwinnett, the Colb, County, all of these areas around the urban core of Atlanta actually vote more for Warnock than for Walker in the runoff, okay? And they're not terribly small numbers. They're they're, they're actually considerable numbers. And I think it's really important that we understand or at least look at it in a low turnout election cycle when suburban voters vote more Democrat than Republican, it's hard to draw any of the conclusions mathematically than this was, again, Republican defection. Republicans have a problem and it's a big problem. And there's a problem that plagued them in 2016 by losing the popular vote by the largest margin in history. 2018 by getting just absolutely trounced in the midterms. 2020, they lose an incumbent presidency uh, with Donald Trump loses. The midterms, again, another sign of just uh, losing seats that they never should have lost. This was McConnell's complaint, and I think legitimately so, regardless of what you think about McConnell. He points out correctly that we've got poor candidates. Trump goes out and picks Mehmet Oz, Kerry Lake, Herschel Walker, um, J.D. Vance, uh, all of these people who are dramatically underperforming as Republicans because people know that they're absolutely freaking batshit crazy. And that extremism is is pushing independents away at an extremely fast clip. Okay, so Donald Trump had a really bad night last night Had a bad morning, too, I think, with the with with some of the legal decisions. We'll get to that in just a bit. But had a bad night in the the Georgia runoffs. He doubles down on Herschel Walker and says vote for Herschel Walker. Walker loses again, of course, um, in the typical range that everybody was expecting and seeing the polling midterms were horrible for Trump candidates across the board. Very few bright signs outside of Florida where DeSantis is probably going to take on uh, Trump in either in the primary or wait till the carcass is dead and run in 2028. And then um, you look back at this whole lit. Trumpism has been a disaster for the Republican Party. It's been an absolute disaster. Okay? And I, it's really important. I'm going to reiterate this again. It's really important that I say this. It's not that the Democrats are doing anything right. They're not. The Democrats have have a lot of foundational problems, okay? A lot of them. They're, They're dramatically consolidating voters and their messages reflect a movement towards white college educated progressive voters which are only about a third of the electorate. And they're talking only to themselves and the only thing preventing... I would argue a pretty significant wholesale collapse is the fact that the Republicans are so completely, completely batshit crazy. And it was, what the, this leftward shift of college educated Republicans, you saw it again last night. These are the counties I'm talking about in the collar counties. It's, it's, it's bigger and it's faster than the Hispanic shift rightward, which again, more data last night shows that both are happening. Hispanics are moving right again. College-educated white Republicans are moving left, and it's like baseball, training baseball cards. That's the trade-off. That's what's happening in American society today. One other trend closely correlated, and then we're going to get to a quick question in the queue, because uh, Sharon's waiting for a call. Jump into the queue uh, if you want. if you want to line up and start asking some questions, and that is an absolute chasm between the rural and urban divide. It got... Bigger than it's ever been in Georgia. If you look at some of the smaller, white, rural, non-college educated northern counties in Georgia last night, they moved even more Republican. At the same time, all of the suburban counties moved more Democrat and the urban core got more Democrat. You just were not seeing the turnout performance in the Atlanta urban core that you would like to see. A lot of a lot of really smart people like Tom Bonnier and Ron Brownstein will say that uh, Georgia is unique because it's got it's becoming a more urban state as Atlanta and the suburbs get bigger. That is a good way to look at it. That's a fair characterization. It's an analysis I would agree with. Uh, but I'm also looking at the correlations between who lives in those geographies, the demography behind that urban suburban Rural split, which is really more of a rural urban split. The the, the burbs are going with the urban core because they're made up of college educated people. It's non college educated people that are becoming more Republican. It's those non college educated whites are just dramatically over consolidating. And again, there's an undeniable racial and ethnic tie to the messaging that is going on. We're going to get into that later. We've talked about it a lot. I'm not going to get into it now. Sharon, you're in the queue. Go ahead and unmute and ask your question, and we'll go ahead and jump into into what's on your mind. Sharon? I'm gonna take another question from the queue then, Sharon, until you find that mute button. Pags, you're asking about the Democrats needing to talk to working class voters. Isn't that where they need to pick up the Hispanic voters? Conservative voters are voting against the chaos rather than for Warnock. Um, So, look, good question, Peg. There's the the debate that's happening in the Democratic Party right now, I think, is the wrong debate. Uh, There is no question that the Democrats need to do a better job with working class folks. But the problem is they believe that the way to get there is to have candidates like Tim Ryan or Amy Klobuchar or even a Beto O'Rourke advocating for to white working class voters. That's why I was so critical of Beto's strategy of going to white rural counties in Texas. He had no freaking business there. And I think that, that that proved out. We talked about that a lot. I think it was very, very critical of that strategy. It made absolutely no sense. And I think, again, that played out. Ryan didn't have any choice, right? He's in Ohio. Because Ohio is moving so decisively and decidedly Republican. My strong view is what the Democrats should do is cut white working class voters loose. Let them go. You're not gonna win them. You're not getting them back. You're not winning them on economic messages anymore. Those days are gone. This group is voting and and motivated almost overwhelmingly by racial, ethnic, cultural change issues. They don't believe politicians anymore, for good reason, by the way that they're going to somehow bring back manufacturing jobs or bring success and prosperity back to the rust belt or to parts of the midwest or to the great lakes states or even to the new england states nobody is buying that shit anymore okay they've been hearing it since the 80s and it hasn't made any sense and democrats believe that nor- they, they democrats believe they can get those folks back because the democrats used to be a party of working class people they don't realize that is no longer the case. And so what they're doing in large part because Democrats can't think beyond black and white terms that they need to go after and get the white working class voter. It's a complete waste of time. It's a complete waste of time. Not only are they not getting them, they're losing them by bigger margins. The problem that they have is they're losing Hispanic voters. So rather than elevating moderate working class Hispanic voices and elevating them in order to get back or limit the margins that they're losing by they are stuck in this old habitual way of going oh we need Tim Ryan oh we need Amy Klobuchar oh we need these white you know steel workers in Pittsburgh uh, what's his name um, Fetterman right it's like Fetterman is like gonna save us he's he looks like a working-class guy no Fetterman's not gonna save you and let me let me also say this by the way let I me, mean, let me, I'm going to throw this down. If, if, if Mehmet Oz hadn't been a freaking nutbag and if they had put up a normal Republican, good chance that Fetterman loses. Very good chance that Fetterman loses, by the way. And remember, I'm the guy who was saying that Pennsylvania's fundamentals are moving towards a bluer position because they are. Fetterman's, Fetterman's performance was not that strong. Shapiro's performance was strong. Shapiro's performance running for governor of Pennsylvania was the guy who was actually setting the standard of where the fundamentals of that Senate seat are at. Fetterman did not produce the way that he should have, okay? And if Mehmet Oz had had any qualifications, any credibility, and run any sort of a decent campaign, I'm not saying he would have lost, but I'm saying it probably would have been a hell of a lot closer, and I would not have been shocked if he lost, okay? The idea, that Democrats are going to win back white working class voters is a fool's errand. They're making a strategic and demographic error. And what it's doing is it's leaving a massive vacuum for this rightward shift that is happening. And the only thing you hear from Democrats is saying, it's not happening. It doesn't exist. It's not really a thing. Okay. It is a thing. You talk to any one of the data guys, some of the data experts, Carlos Odio right, who's probably the best Latino data guy the Democrats have, said it on the Latino Vote podcast that I did did with him and Chuck that we released this morning. The best, by the way, best podcast we've done, the Latino Vote podcast, we just released this morning. If you haven't listened to it, phenomenal stuff. Carlos and I disagree on a lot, but his numbers are nails, okay? His numbers take him to the bank. And those numbers are saying the rightward shift has already happened and it was sustained through the midterms. Happened in 20, sustained into the 2022 cycle. The Democrats have a big problem on the 270 map uh, for the presidential in 2024. I'm not making predictions right now. Actually, I am going to make predictions right now. The Democrats are going to win in 2024, but they're going to win despite themselves. Okay, They're going to do it despite doing the best thing that they can do to put the party and their candidate in the best position, and they're benefited by two things. One, the Republicans, I guarantee you, are going to get even freaking crazier. They're going to go absolutely, if you think you've seen Republican crazy at its craziest levels in the midterms in 2022, you have not seen anything yet. It's going to get like a three ring freaking circus. Okay. It's going to be nuts. It's starting in January, by the way, starting early. It's not going to just be Hunter Biden. It's going to be all the subpoenas that are going to be issued by the Republican party. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Donald Trump can't say goodbye. as as damaging as he is, as big of of an anchor and an albatross as he is on the anchor of the Republican party, he will not go quietly into the dark night. He is not going to do that, okay? If, and this is a big if, if he does not get the Republican nomination, if DeSantis comes in or Tucker Carlson comes in or somebody else comes in, sweeps the nomination away from him, I think it's highly unlikely, but it's possible. Lots gonna happen, okay? Trump still controls the base of the Republican Party, and it's not that close, okay? He still has a very strong position, but he's weak because at least a third of the Republican base is looking desperately to get the hell out of the, 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 the political cul-de-sac that they've driven themselves into. If Trump is driven from the party, he will run an independent candidacy and pull the party down with him. Because there is no way Donald Trump is going to allow another Republican to win the White House, because he will be completely irrelevant at that point, and that is not going to happen. He will lose his ability to fundraise. He will lose all of his message. He will lose his place in the history, if that even matters to him. He will lose. He will. He will. He loses everything. He loses his business. He, his kids will probably be destroyed. There's no way he's going to allow that to happen. Okay. So let's just set all of that uh, aside. That's that's to me again that those two shifts, this Hispanic shift, this this left this rightward Hispanic shift, this leftward shift of college educated white voters, that's going to be determinative for the 2024 election cycle, the election campaign. It's why I believe Georgia will stay in the blue column in 2024, it will Arizona will stay in the blue column in 2024. I'm concerned, as I shared, about Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin could flip back. And I'm also, uh, I think the biggest pickup opportunity, as I've said before, is North Carolina. I think those four states are exactly where the both parties need to be focused right now in order to best position for the 230 map. And we're gonna see um, how that all plays out, regardless of who the nominees are. We can speculate on this bullshit about Biden not running. Is he gonna dump Kamala? Is DeSantis run? Does, 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 does Larry Hogan run? Does Nikki Haley run? Does, does, does Ted Cruz run? It, it does not matter. I'm, I'm talking about the fundamentals of the race. The actual margins that, that move in, in races is not that big. 95% of what we do in national campaigns is completely irrelevant. It is not moving the needle at all, okay? You heard it here first. I'm the first guy to say it. I believe campaign matters. I do it for a living but I focus on the very thin movable margins that tip the balance of the outcomes of races. Everyone else is looking for these like 10, 20, 30 point swings. That's not how campaigns work. They're very, very, very small margins that move just handfuls of voters to determine outcomes. If you don't believe me, look at the raw number vote between Herschel Walker and Warnock last night. There's just not that many voters that are going to move regardless of what happens. You can have a candidate as bad as Herschel Walker. It's not going to move or change the outcome of the race, okay? Donald Trump wins by 70,000 votes across four or five states. Joe Biden wins by 30,000 votes across three states, okay? After all the hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars that we spent, after all of the work that Biden did on his campaign, after all of the work that Trump did on his campaign, after all of the work that the Lincoln Project did on our effort, after all of the independent money is spent, All it came down to was a few tens of thousands of votes across three or four states. That is not anomalous, guys. That is the way campaigns work. And so the the challenge as a practitioner is to cut through the noise, not listen to what the pundits are saying, not listen to cable news, not listen to the Twitter experts, and do your job and focus on exactly where those movable voters are and figure out what the exact raw numbers are of those margins. To get into a position for your candidates to win okay that's those are what campaigns are the rest the other 99 of this stuff it's theater it's designed uh, it's designed to get you hopped up pissed off angry mobilized and hopefully to either support the campaigns that you're working on either financially and or um uh, with actual raw votes if you're in those states so peggy sorry great question in the chat um went on a little bit longer than I expected to, but that's kind of what we get on mic drop. So uh, what can I answer for you?
1: Hey, Mike. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Um, so I'm working with my town Democratic committee, and it's something that I've noticed. I, I, I think you answered this, why I've seen this vacuum. And I, I think that even though it's a very diverse town, I think going after that white middle class vote that you're talking about, that they're not going to get back, right? I don't think so. Right. So I I don't see much movement towards like the voters of color or the Hispanic vote. I remember talking to one of the candidates and she was canvassing. And I, I, and I said, do you have any, do you have a Hispanic population in the County where you're running? Can you, can you look at the Hispanic vote there? And it was like, Hamana, Hamana, you know, and I don't understand this because I'm listening to you and I'm going to my next town democratic committee meeting and I'm like, okay, this is New York three. This is one of this, the the counties that flipped MAGA. Remember I was saying that they're, they're yeah. popping up all over and it's one of the ones that went red and never should have gone red. So I'm looking to get busy and do some work.
0: This is one of those long Island seats. Yep. Um, yep. So is it, is it, uh, is it ethnically diverse? Yes. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, the, One of the most fascinating things to me, like, I, as a Republican for thirty years, mm-hmm. I, I get it when Republicans, like, I get it, like, I've lived it, like, they don't, they don't pay much attention to black and brown voters. It's just not their thing. I get it. But working with Democrats, like, since the Lincoln Project, like, they, even more clueless, e- completely clueless, and, and tell and, me about it. <laughs> and, and more, I don't think they really care. I, I just don't. And what you're what you're what you're explaining and yeah. what you're reiterating is, is kind of that. There's yes,
1: that- I'm seeing it. I've been seeing it. And the yeah. first local campaign I worked on, I went into diverse areas and, yeah, and, yeah. and people of color. And I remember one gentleman saying, you know, we, we never see anybody unless it's election time. And it's like, that's not OK. You have to be there.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's the oddest thing. And it's, it's like when, when I'm kind of explaining this stuff and I'll look, I'll, 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 you know, you, you guys follow me. I share this stuff online, working on writing a book on it right now. I'll, I'll, it, it's like you talk to people and Democratic operatives. There's just this complete denial about it. Like, oh, that's not happening. Like, they're not white voters. So they must be voting 70, 30 for the Democrats. It's like, no, like that's not happening really anywhere. Georgia last night, it didn't happen. You're sitting at a 55, 45 position. That's pretty damn good for the Republicans with Herschel Walker as their candidate. Like what, I I, I just, I, there, there should be like this five alarm bell fire going off. <laughs> and it is the weirdest thing as a Republican to look at the Democrats when it's like, guys, you got a problem. And they're like, no, nah, there's no problem. And, th- and that's why Republicans are picking up this vote. It's not that they're doing anything right. It's just the Democrats have so vacated the field that, that 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 Hispanic voters are just shifting. By the way, black voters are too, just not to the same degree. They're just shifting over and saying, I don't get it. And like I said, I think it's a function of the, of the Democratic Party consolidating as a white college educated progressive party. They only see that as the world. They've got all of the answers. They've got all the racial answers. They've got all the climate change answers. They've got all the answers to everything. And anybody who doesn't agree with them is obviously dumb, and a racist and a rube, right? And there's a lot of people of color going, I just don't relate to what you're talking about. Like not, nothing of what you're talking about helps me improve my daily life. And it's not, again, like I said, it's not that the Republicans are doing anything right. It's just that the Democrats are vacating and leaving the field. Incidentally, it's the same thing that's happening with college-educated whites who are moving to the Democratic Party. They're looking at the Republican Party going, you guys are freaking crazy. Like, I just don't get it. So, so like anyway. I'm
1: here, and I'm like, I'm going to the second meeting, and I'm I'm going to be asking, like, what are we doing now? Are there people we can register to vote? What, like, like I feel like things we should be doing on the ground now. That five alarm, those five alarms are going off in my head, and I'm like, okay, what are we doing? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's like, you know, I, I just Mike. <laughs> no, look, I get it. I'm well, uh, ready. I'm willing to go out there. Give look at the chat. No, Peggy, look, this
0: is fantastic. You're actually there on the streets talking to people. Look, look at, look at, you know, good follower, too. I'm not trying to call anybody out, but Ohio Diner, right? Big follower. Regular, mm-hmm. great, great people. I, it's not on down the, on the Democrats. Like I'm, not I'm, at like, all. By the way by, all. way, by the way, full disclosure here, let me remind people again Mike Madrid is not a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Democrat. Okay. I mean, I'm anti authoritarian and I want the Democrats to win right now. But I'm, I, I, it's very easy for me to, to, to be critical for the Democrats because I've been beating Democrats for 30 years. I see how they operate and I've I've done campaigns at the highest levels for Democrats and I know how they think differently. And so I'm just offering the, the what is very obvious to me. Like it's just, it's just easy, it's just plain as day.
2: And when I walk
1: into these meetings and I see all white people and I'm like, why isn't this more diverse? The county is diverse, what is this? So, okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Jackie. Love that. Let me know how that meeting goes. Let's see how that happens. Let's see. Let's see I will. It. All right. Renee, you're next up in the queue. North Carolina.
3: Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm
0: doing good. How are you tonight?
3: I'm pretty good. My question has nothing to do with North Carolina tonight. Um, my question is, I got, um, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine that lives in Arizona who got a feeler email from Ruben Gallego mm-hmm. Um. And uh, the premise is, well, m- the the attitude of, the, the feel of the email is like he's feeling out whether he should attempt to primary cinema. Yeah. Um, And I'm wondering how pragmatic that is when we're looking at the difficulties with the 2024 Senate map. Like, how wise is that? I know she hasn't been, like... A, a real staunch ally for the Democratic Party, even though she has been scrambling as of late. And maybe that's why, um, you know, with us picking up uh, an extra senator, it kind of makes her a little less relevant. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm still wondering how pragmatic it would be to try to primary her when, when Gallego <clears throat> does have, a, a more progressive feel to him and you know although Arizona is has definitely trended blue over the last few cycles i I'm, I'm not sure that they would embrace uh, a, a, a true progressive candidate. So talk to me about what your feelings are on that.
0: It's a great question. It's one I've been put a lot of thought into First of all Chris cinema um, she votes with the with the Democratic Party 96 percent of the time. 96% and that it's just, it's just a sign of the times. Like if you're not a hundred percent, then you're some sort of a sellout. Now in all fairness, those 4%, some of those were some pretty big votes, right?
3: Yeah, like voting rights, yeah, like that, the voting
0: that, rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, yeah, and we can get into voting rights and all that stuff. And, and look, I think you guys know, you know, Congressman Gallego and I, we've gone back and forth on social media on some of this Latino stuff. Um, I, I'm a big fan. I was a bigger fan of him b- before you know. He, we, we got into it. And the reason why I, I was a bigger fan is because I don't think he's necessarily following the facts or understanding what's happening with, with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know that it helps um, a, a state that is as contested as it is, like Arizona, to have an intraparty fight on the Democratic side of the aisle. I don't know that it's bad, by the way. Sometimes the best thing you need is a, is a, is a primary fight. What I do believe is that um, I do believe gallego has got a bright future. I think he is far too progressive for Arizona. I think he's far too progressive for the Hispanic Caucus. I think that cinema is um, will has plenty of time to correct some of the negatives that she has with the era, with the Arizona electorate. And my strong suspicion is she probably will. Because Schumer and Schumer's people are going to sit down and say, how do we, how their job is to protect her, by the way, mm-hmm. their job is not to protect the seat for Democrats. Their job is to protect that member. Right. It's really important to understand this. People need to know that. Chuck Schumer's job is to protect cinema, and then the Democrats. His job is to protect his caucus. It's not to protect the party. They're very closely aligned. But he doesn't want a primary challenge he doesn't want he doesn't want that money being spent he doesn't want her negatives being driven up now do i think she's vulnerable i think she's vulnerable now if you ask me in early summer and let's visit on the show let's remember i said this if if she's looking i don't think she's going to look that vulnerable this summer i think her vote will come back into line i think people will start becoming more anti-republican she'll vote 96 percent with the democrats and it's very very rare that an incumbent of a party is kicked out when they're voting with their own party 96% of the time. It's extremely rare, okay? So I don't know that it's the best best political positioning for Gallego. I mean, look, he's a member of Congress. I'm not, don't wanna be one, but you know, he's he's been successful to this point. I think he's gonna run. I think he's just, he just wants to see, he, he sees weakness and he's gonna make a run at her. I think it's probably a mistake. He's going to have to make a decision pretty, you know, quick. She's going to be around for a little bit, right. but you know, I, I, there's also no, there's also no downside in fundraising against her and positioning for her because it also keeps her honest. The more that she's got a problem on her left flank, the more she's going to start moving back to that direction to prevent a primary challenge from happening. And that may be his end game. That may be his goal. Um, so I don't know. I look, I, I think, I think Ruben with a military background, if he was a more moderate Hispanic, somebody advocating for working-class issues, I think he would be a very, very significant national character. Right. I think because he is so progressive, he's, he's just taking himself out of the relevancy debate. He's proving himself to be more of a partisan than he is an advocate for the community. That's just my opinion, and he, he would obviously very vehemently disagree. Maybe I'll have him on the show sometime. I admire him. I respect him. I think he's a fine fella. I don't see the world the same way that he does and we kind of go at it sometimes, um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not disrespectful. It's just we've got a difference of opinions. All right. Okay? But,
3: yeah, yeah, thanks so much for your input on that.
0: Yeah, I hope it was helpful, Renee. Thanks. It's but a great it was, question.
3: Indeed. By Thank the way,
0: you. yeah, and I think I Cinema think and Mansion. I think I think they're... Um,
3: mansion's fine. Well, they're, there's they're, no they're, other Democrat. No Democrat. There's no other Democrat in West Virginia that's, yeah. that has the prominence or name recognition he was. Nobody's going to go up against him.
0: Yeah, but, but, but let, let, let me let me finish here. With the Republicans in control of the House, they're much more protected from bad votes. Because there's no there's nothing there's no legislation that's going to get out of the House that is then going to go to the Senate. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, I mean, for me right now, I guess all eyes are on judgeships. I mean, that's sure. that's in yeah. committees.
0: Yeah, and I don't think you're going to see Cinema's not going to like be not voting for judges and stuff like that. That's not going to happen. Mansion maybe one or two things, and he'll do it because West Virginians like him doing that. Not yeah. that big of a deal. He'll vote for the other ninety percent. I just really, I just look, look, look Democrats out there. The days of Cinema and Mansion being these holdouts on major pieces of legislation are gone. They're gone because the Republicans control the House. Those bills wouldn't be going through anyway. So the, right. their fulcrum of power is the balance of power in D.C. has significantly mitigated. Not, there's, there's no bills that Kevin McCarthy is going to get passed that they're going to work with them on on the Senate side. I think it's highly, highly unlikely. And even if they did with Warnock's win, there's no vote. There's no path there. So why would they do that? Right. They so, would have to so, yeah, up would, and, it up together. I, I, I think personally it was pretty smart for Sinemata Mansion to operate the way that they did to leverage what they needed to get out of that legislation. I know there's a lot of, you know, Democrats who's like, how dare you? And, I mean, whatever. I, I, that's, it's not my thing. But just looking at power and the way power is played in Washington, D.C., the days of them negotiating the way that they were are gone. The Republicans are control the House. There's nothing that's going to get through that's going to allow them to negotiate that way. That's not going to happen. And that, that by the way, that's helpful for Cinema. It's very helpful for Cinema. She doesn't have to be that person anymore to negotiate a more moderate deal. She can just go back to the party line, rehab her image with Democrats in Arizona, and still have the ability to go in a general election and say, I'm a moderate. I represent Arizonans and be well-positioned for each other. All right?
3: Yep. For sure. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you. Josh, my man, you're up. You're in the queue, brother.
4: Hey, Mike. How you doing?
0: Good. How are you?
4: I'm good, man. I, I uh, You mentioned something earlier that I wanted to remark about and also ask you a question. It, it's something I've thought about a lot. It was about um, essentially how Democrats just sort of suck at messaging, and we all know that. I, I've always... And I think I may even have said it to you before that part of the reason why Democrats suck at messaging is that it's a little harder for them to message because their tent is so big. I I don't think Democrats always know who the fuck to talk to, and whether that's white working class or other minorities of color. But what I want to say is that I totally agree with you about the white working class quote-unquote, constituency being really a lost cause. And, and and I think there's no better proof of that is that, like, Tim Ryan, to me, ran a fantastic campaign. And his end was to convince white working-class men in Ohio, and he still lost. And it, 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 that just really, really reinforces your point, and, and I don't think there's any better example that does. And so I suppose my question – and, you know, we're probably going to hear from Tim Ryan again and, like, Amy Klobuchar in 2024. I think both of these people are, are, are great uh, potential candidates. But to your whole point that you've been on that no one else is talking about, I and to my knowledge, about this gap in the Latino vote that Democrats just seem to either not see or not understand – I, my question is simple. Do you, in the entire political landscape, do you see or can think of a Democrat, maybe that no one's talked about, that may, that shows the most promising potential to bridge this Latino gap that you talk about so much in 2024, maybe other than Beto O'Rourke, who you mentioned? Targeted the wrong audience in, in Texas anyway.
0: Yeah, you mean for like as a presidential candidate?
4: Yeah, like a presidential candidate, like just some or if, or just somebody in the Democratic Party. Maybe maybe a rookie or just some. Yeah, I, I can tell. Who is I can, tell, like,
0: I can tell you. I can tell you right now who it is. Uh, Alex oh. Alex Padilla.
4: Oh wait wait wait! I'm gonna I've never heard of him. I'm gonna Google this person while I got you. Can you
0: say Alex who? Padilla, P-A-D-I-L-L-A. He's a U.S. senator from California. Padilla.
4: Ah, yeah. uh, oh. Yeah, now,
0: good. yeah. Alex is a good friend of mine. I've known him since he was a young man as the president of the L.A. City Council. I've known him for 20 years. You're not going to hear from Alex for a while because Alex's whole style is to be quiet. It's to is to be a freshman senator and learn. But if you look at uh, all of his all of his messaging is about working class and working class issues, all of it is. He understands this intuitively. He, he grew up in Pacoima as a son of immigrants. Working wow, very work He's and that's that's where I thought Gallego could be that guy. Gallego's demonstrating he's not that guy. Okay, he's just he's just he's he's choosing to 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 climb the party ladder. I don't blame him. That's what a politician does. Padilla's playing yeah. a longer game. Alex is playing a longer game.
4: Sorry, very, so is, I'm sorry to interrupt
0: you. Go ahead. I was going to say, he's, he is a working class, Alex is a working class guy from a working class community. He's from the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. If you don't know LA, that's very meaningful. He's a son of immigrants. and
4: I know, San Fernando Valley.
0: Yeah. And so he's, he's not like an urban Los Angeles uh, Latino d- Democrat. He's not. He's not the guy who's going to play the progressive game just to play the progressive game. He's a blue collar values kind of guy. It's very subtle. Is
4: Alex, is, is Alex um, sort of in the? I don't know. In the among Democrats behind the scenes, is, is he interested in twenty twenty four election? No. Is he, no. No.
0: No. You're not going to see. You're not going to see him. I don't think he ever runs for president, just knowing Alex, but I, I think he will be a very strong force um, nationally for the Democrats as they start, as they continue to struggle for this vote. And okay. it's kind of, I, think it gets, I think it gets worse before it gets better. They just, they don't, they really don't have an understanding of it. And all of the Latinos in the hierarchy really are trying to emulate sort of the black civil rights struggle. And it's not, yeah. it's, it's not, it's, it's, that's not the way Latino voters respond. It's just
4: not. No, no, it, it's, it's so true. And now, even the progressives like Latinos, like, you know, like AOC, they, they don't understand that. Um, I, I, I really believe that's a, a fucking valuable point you've been making that not enough people are hearing, um, but um, I just wanted to know if you, if you could think of. I'm going to follow this guy, man. Thanks for mentioning him. man. I'm glad I asked the question. Follow
0: Alex. There's a there's a lot the Democrats can can learn from just following his style and his his policy yeah. and and his area of focus. He 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 look he's 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 at where he's at for a reason, and he's quiet for a reason. He's letting this all play out. He knows that the party is not going to change simply by showing them facts and evidence. He's He's too smart. He lets guys like me do that kind of stuff that are a little bit more hard headed and edgy, and throw some more elbows. But they'll figure it out, All right? few yeah. Questions, brother. Thanks, man. Always love having you on the show. All right, thanks. All right, man. Thanks. Hello, Mike. Yes.
5: Thank you for doing this.
0: Sure. Thank I you agree for agree with you.
5: Yeah, it's great. It's well worth my time. Um, I agree with you on Ruben Gallego. I think he's awesome. I live in the redistrict CA 48 and I've been keeping my eye on Gallego and I think he's a really good guy. But my question is, will the movement of the right towards the more wacko territory, will that not transition more Republicans into the Dem side? And will that cause permanent change for the Dems, and will it also make them complacent? So I guess a three-part question.
0: I, if I understand it correctly, as, as, as the Republicans continue to go to the right, will there be Republicans who leave and become Democrats, right? Is that the first question? Correct.
5: Or independents, yes. And will that, yeah. that because of that transition, make the Dems more complacent? Oh, we've got this mentality?
0: No. No. Uh, great questions. The first is, yes, that will happen. There will be continued defections of Republicans to the Democratic Party. That was demonstrated again last night. Yes, that will happen. That, but that will not make Democrats complacent. What unfortunately will happen is the Democrats will believe that they have a mandate. And that mandate will have them continue to move further and further to the left And a lot of those voters will come back to the Republican Party if they see a more sane candidate. Let me give you a perfect example. Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. It's exactly what happened. The party moved too far in 2020. The Democrats start to move way out left culturally on stuff, or at least they're framed that way. Remember critical race theory was the big issue then. The Democrats Democrats don't have an answer for this stuff, by the way. That's why we say their Democrats are bad at messaging. I don't necessarily think that that's right or wrong. I just think they don't know how to pick the right battlefield to fight on. They just feel this obligation, this weird responsibility to respond to everything that's thrown at them. And so they argue against stuff that they can't win on. Like you can't win on critical race theory. But they were like, oh, well, we've got to teach history. We've got to teach about slavery, and blah, 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 blah. And the Republicans are like, yeah, yeah, keep talking about it, keep talking about it. But- and the more they talk about it, the more the negatives come down. And, and what happens really quickly is those Republican voters went back to Glenn Youngkin. Those, Biden, those those Republicans that went for Biden, those Lincoln Project Republicans that went for Biden, came back and voted for Youngkin.
5: And that's confounding because COT is basically college graduate level theory.
0: Who cares? They Don't talk about it. Attack. If you're explaining, if you're explaining, you're losing. losing. That's why the the Republicans are doing it is because the Democrats can't help it. And they know that it's like, let's talk about critical, let's talk about racial issues. And then the Democrats are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's explain it. Let's get into this college educated stuff. It goes back into the history of this. And it's really a legal thing. It's not necessarily a 12 thing. It's like, and every time you're doing that you're losing voters and the, the Republicans are masters at it. But it's not that hard when the Democrats can't not take the bait. I, 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 I don't think that Democrats are bad at messaging. I just think that they it's easy to have them swallow the hook. They can't help themselves. They can't. The Democrats can't help it. They feel that if they can win every argument that they're winning voters. that's not the way campaigns work. It's not the way voter psychology right. works. Right. What you have to do in a campaign is you have to pick the battlefield. Think Gettysburg, right? It was getting mm-hmm. the high ground. The reason why the North ultimately won, we can go over all the battles over the three-day blah blah blah, little round top, big round top, picket's charger. The reason why the North won was because they, they took the high ground. That's why they won. Outnumbered, outgunned. Our um, right. general, absolutely, they won because they had the high ground. Democrats, pick the freaking high ground. Quit, ex- quit, quit fighting on 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 these battlefields that you cannot win on. And that's what we as Republicans always counted on, is because the Democrats can't help it; they do it every time, and it's kind of embarrassing, it's kind of sad, it's kind of fun as a Republican. <laughs> the bait every freaking time. <laughs> Does that help? how do
5: they how, how does that go away How do we eliminate
0: you run the offense. you run offense you start attacking attack 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 That's why I kept saying the January 6th committee was a big deal if you followed me yeah yes. all the Democrats were saying quit talking about it no one's following it no one's watching cable news blah, blah, blah. and I'm like is the refrigerator hum this is exactly the way you run offense. Yep. And I'll tell you what, I'm, look, uh, God, you can throw me out the window, get pissed at me for whatever, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, this was Clyburn or whoever. The, just, it was Liz Cheney. There's a Republican who knows how to do this. Told the Democrats, this is the way we're going to do it. It works.
5: She's a dog with a bone.
0: Yeah, that, and that's what you got to be. Drive, it, yeah. drive, 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 drive the message. They're extremists. They're trying to overthrow the government. There's an insurrection. Here's the evidence. Here's the video. Here's the testimony. Here's the witnesses. Here's the texts. Leak the leak. it. They just commandeered the entire narrative from early spring to late summer. That was Liz Cheney. Don't give me this bullshit about the Democrats doing that bullshit. That was Liz Cheney who knew what yeah. she was doing. Okay? And it's by running offense that you command the narrative. The Demo- The Republicans could do nothing but respond to that or try to change the issue, which is what you do in a political campaign quit explaining quit trying to tell people why critical race theory is or is not that quit trying to justify that the more you're explaining the more you are losing that's what democrats correct they can't help themselves
5: okay my last question and i agree with you is do you think liz cheney will run for president no no okay
0: there's no lane for her there's no room for people like me or liz cheney or adam kinzinger or well, there's no, there's no. We could fit in a phone booth. There aren't even any phone booths. But no, no, no. I mean, if, if if she thought for a moment if there was any data showing that her running as a spoiler would hurt, you know, Trump, yeah, she'd do it in a heartbeat. She'd take that bullet for the country. But I, I, there's no lane. I, there's just there's no constituency for Liz Cheney in the Republican Party. Any meaningful constituency.
5: And that's sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So oh, thank okay, you, I appreciate thank it. you so much. Appreciate your phone call all the time, Andrew, a man from Australia. If you're not following Andrew on social media, y'all need to. This guy yeah. brings the best question from across the uh, globe. I wish oh, there yeah. were more Americans that were as
6: engaged as this guy, Andrew. What's going on? You don't need to blow smoke up my rear end, mate, but I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so, um, my question—I had a couple, of, a couple of different ones today. Um, the union, the union vote in America. Can you explain that? And I had a couple of questions about it.
0: Yeah, unionization has been dropping really since the 60s and 70s, and it's dropping precipitously <clears throat> because of globalization. America is becoming less and less a manufacturing economy. And I think the push towards unionization has actually been exacerbating that. So, I, look, I, unions, you know, for the construction trades, for the building trades, for, for those types of, of, of things electricians, pipe fitters, cement workers, laborers. That's great. They need they need unions. You got to have a union. You should and need. And those are working class folks that that need your yep. protections. Correct. Yeah. Where we've lost them is in manufacturing because America doesn't build anything anymore. So the old GM, you know, Ford union workers, right? The old union hall, like that's long gone. That used to be a very significant part of our workforce. It's just not manufacturing is not that big anymore. And we're piecing things in from other parts of the world. And then we're, we're, we're assembling them more than creating them, right? The idea of pouring hot steel in Pittsburgh and then moving it to the you know manufacturing plant in Dayton, Ohio, those things are gone, all right so, so, so the idea of unionizing a workforce, I think, and uh, this probably sets a lot of people off too, but to me, that is trying to find a, a solution for this century using last century's framework. Unionization isn't gonna get you anything in a place that is rapidly globalizing. You can't, you can't build a union, I mean, for, for what? So, so what does that meant for unions? Unions, s- smartly, they started, they started organizing in the government. They started getting state and local AFSCME, county workers to become union members. And that's where the growth in unions has taken place. It's not in working class, blue-collar communities. It's in the halls of government at the state, local, and federal level. And that has its limits. So the mm. power of unions is broken. And you hear people like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren and all these, you know, super progressive lefties saying, oh, we need to unionize. Let's just bring unions back. That shit went out, you know, with the, with the, with the Buicks. That shit went out with the Cadillac Sevilles. Like, that, that's not coming back. Like quit, quit lying to people. and they, they know, they know too. Like Shelly, no, uh, unions represent 10% of the U.S. workforce and only 7% of the private sector workforce right there in the room chat. Look at that statistic and she would know. She works with a lot of these uh, work, workforce groups. Uh, th- that is nothing. Uh, and over a third of government workers are union represented. Mike Madrid knows the stuff at the top of his head. Don't know the exact numbers, Shelly does. That's exactly right, folks. Take a look at that, okay? That, that Those numbers right there tell you why politically, politically, there is no future in organizing America's workforce. I'm not, it's not anti-union, it's not a, whatever, it's not a Republican saying this. It's a political data guy saying, I don't care if you represent, if you organize 17% and get 100% union workforce, it's 17% of the electorate. That's nothing. It's nothing. There's nothing. So
6: quit, quit, right.
0: quit, looking for that as a, as a way to save you because union ain't gonna save you. They're probably gonna hurt you more than help you.
6: And is 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 that the sort of is that the dim working class stranglehold, no, Is it? that's
0: no. the idea that working class. Well, look, I mean, Democrats think that that's the only way to the working class because they're stuck in the nineteen seventies when when this was you know when America was just was a largely white working class country. It's becoming mm. less and less so every year. So they're struggling with that. They think the answer is just the same. Let's just pretend this is the 1970s, and let's get Tim Ryan in Ohio, and let's get Beto O'Rourke in the rural parts of Texas, and let's Mm -hmm. run these campaigns like it's 1975 again. And it's it's just—it's just—it's an absurdity. The problem is there's also a blue-collar culture in America. The Reagan Democrats is what we called them. Those union workers. They weren't voting just on economic policy. Remember Ronald Reagan was not an America Firster. Ronald Reagan was not an isolationist like like Bernie Sanders. Ronald Reagan no. was a globalist, is what we call him now. He was yep. a free marketer. He was a capitalist. And yep. and and Reagan Democrats, Democrats responded to that overwhelmingly. Now, you can argue and say, well they were snookered, they were lied to, of course whatever whatever messaging you want <laughs> to believe in. But the, but the truth of the matter is, that blue collar value system is still meaningful in a country where 60% of the voters don't have a college degree. People without a college degree are more likely to go to church on Sundays. They are. They're more likely to send their kids to public schools, not private schools. They are. They're more likely to have a, a culture. You know, this is, this is football. football on Sundays after church. Right? That this is you know the the soccer field on Saturdays, right? It's a beer after work. That, 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 that you know that, that there's a blue collar culture, there's a blue collar value to Americans and these have been up until very recently Democrats. I think they probably still are a majority but the margins are moving dramatically in the other direction. And so it's not just economics, it's also a value proposition. And that's where the Republicans are kicking the crap out of the Democrats when they talk about trans stuff they talk about critical race theory they talk about building a wall they talk about immigration they talk about you know muslims there's a direct correlation to race i don't like it i that's why i you know have, have, have taken the position i have in working with yeah. the republican party but i understand it i get it i get it and mm-hmm. and it works and that's where republic democrats really don't have much of a response to that
6: well, like you said, cut them loose. Um, so my other question is um, now that the Dems have a 51 seat um, majority in the Senate, does that mean it's January six is back on the menu, to just a different flavor?
0: Uh, I wish. I don't I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know that the, the, the Senate will play it that way. Um, here's what I do think. I do think that we're going to have a couple more hearings uh, on January six, right, in the House. I think that criminal referrals are going to be made. And I think now it's going to be in the hands of the Department of Justice. I don't think that the Senate needs to. What else can the Senate do? Like, relitigate it again? Like, it's been litigated in the Court of Public Opinion. It's now up to Merrick Garland to bring charges. And I believe he will. I've always believed that he will. I know that there's this whole weird conspiracy thing on Twitter and social media saying Merrick Garland's a, you know, a, Whatever he's compromised or he's inco- whatever, yeah. Mer- Merrick Garland's going to bring charges, and it's coming quick. I like this Jack Smith guy, by the way. Man, he looks like he meets out justice with a sword and a dagger. I tweeted that. he scary <laughs> yeah, right? these guys tried war criminals at the Hague. Like, I want that guy. Give me that guy. Bring him in, and let's bring. Let's have him bring charges. I think it's going to be. I think. I think in the spring there's going to be incredible damage. Done not to just Donald Trump, but to a wide swath of Republicans in Washington D.C. I think it's going to be brutal, as it should be.
6: Yeah, okay. All right. So, um, so, so you don't think that they sort of have a reprisal committee for you know whatever you know they're going to go after? Uh, it's in the House. now, man. We're we're we're, we're, going to, we're going to go after you in, in the Senate because now we've got the power up there. Is that is that sort of the way? Is it tit for tat, or you don't think so? No,
0: nah, I mean. Let the, let the Department of Justice do it. Keep, keep the parts and politics out of it. If I'm Schumer, like I said, I think you need to run offense. You for sure do. But remember, the Republicans are going to overplay their hand. From day one, They, you know, Kevin McCarthy is going to put Marjorie Taylor Greene on, 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 you know, oversight committees. He's going to give her full subpoena power. They're going to oh, go God. after Hunter Biden. It's going to be like Benghazi on steroids. There's going to be really, really <laughs> embarrassing, horrible shit for Hunter Biden. His life is going to be a complete disaster, but it's kind of like with Monica Lewinsky. They're going to overplay their hand. They can't help themselves. They can't. So the can't help themselves. They're going to overplay their hand. They're going to take it too far. By the way, I think there's probably some really bad shit that Hunter Biden did. I'm not following the story, but I think there, there's some legitimacy to it. I think there's some questions to it. But mm-hmm. what I'm also more convinced of is the Republicans will overdo it. They will over, they will absolutely overdo it, and that's what's going to be good for the Democrats. And I think Joe Biden is the beneficiary of it. I think Joe Biden runs for re-election. Could be wrong, mm. but he does, and I think mm. he wins. I think he wins probably pretty soundly. I don't think it'll be that close. Like I said, they're all close. We're just we're just too divided as a country. It's not going to be like Reagan '84 blowout, but do I believe? No. Do I believe that Biden could win the same 270 map that he did and pick up in North Carolina? I do. Do I think he can pick up maybe another, you know, marginal state? I do. Is it going to be Ohio? No. Is it going to be Florida? No. Those are Republican states. But I do believe that he could put some other states on the board. I think well, he could pick some up.
6: Okay. And um, the Republican primary process, it's, not, it's, it's different to the Democratic one, isn't it, where it's a winner takes all, right? If every state's the same,
0: right? They're not all the same; they're all different. But most Republican states are winner take all. I think every so, I think every Democratic state is is proportional representation. It's so, really hard, by the way. It's really hard to win the Democratic nomination. If you look at the map, yeah. it's 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 yeah. It's a bad it's a bad process. It right. it, it incentivizes the, this this. Barack Obama-Hillary battle. Remember that went all the yeah, way?
6: Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Bernie right, Sanders yeah.
0: did the same thing. You know, it's just, it, it, it incentivizes, it's a horrible incentive structure because, you, you know, you can wipe somebody out 80-20 in Nevada and you only pick up two, two seats, two delegates. <laughs> so you might as well keep going. There's no incentive to get out. In re- wow. Republican
6: politics, there's every incentive to get out because you can fall, fall behind very quickly so uh, so for that logic extending that means that tr- Donald Trump wants a big field so he needs to get 30 40% and he just clean sweeps right that's how he won in
0: 2016 he didn't you know a, a, a plurality of voters majority of republican voters did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016's primaries majority most Republicans voted for somebody else he was never getting more than 35 36% of the vote it's just that there was 10 12 other candidates splitting up the other you know 65% and so, you know, Trump was just picking up thirty six percent and it's winner take all, so he'd get all the yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, that's what that's what happened. That's what happened. Donald Trump was not popular up until going into the RNC mm. convention, and then they were like, Well, this is the guy, this is our, our dude, so let's let's throw in with him, and they did. And they were obviously the rest is history, but that's that's the story of Donald Trump. As if it had been Donald Trump versus Ted Cruz straight up, I think Cruz would have beat him.
6: Yeah, I agree. Okay. All right. Well, um, so I guess the the only way then that logic ex- extends is that there's only one strong candidate running against him, Mike, to beat him. If there's ten, eleven 11 people, it's going to be a shit show, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, assuming you don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee, which I think probably the, the, the cynical side of me says he's much easier to beat now than he was in 16 and certainly more than 20. <clears throat> I, don't oh, want to, course. I don't want to take that risk. But, you know, I mean, I think he's just, I think he's very, very weak. And I think that there, I, I think one of the problems is the Democrats aren't playing offense the way that they should. The Democrats should be attacking right now. But, like you know, it's the, it goes back to the Democrats messaging thing. They should be on the attack, mm. attack, 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 attack. They should be elevating DeSantis. That's what they ought to be doing. And and because Donald Trump is not gonna just walk away. He's not gonna to be like, okay, I guess I can't win the primary. I guess I'm done. I'll go hang out at Mar-a-Lago. Like that's not gonna happen. No, 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 no. So, so what they ought to be doing is elevating DeSantis, giving him a platform. DeSantis has been quiet. You notice that? Anybody mm. know? We're like, where's Ron DeSantis? I should tweet that. Mm. Like, where is Ron DeSantis? <laughs> and that's exactly what he should be doing. Shut up and stay in the shadows and let Trump hang himself. DeSantis has been quiet. No one, one's, no one's the, the dude should have gone out and like Caesar in Rome. Like I won my 20 points in Florida. Like I'm the guy, I'm the nominee. Yeah. What did he do? <laughs> exact opposite. He shut up, which is exactly the right thing to do. Hide, disappear into the you know wallpaper. DeSantis should, the right political move is to shut up. Let's Trump be Trump. And the more Trump is right now, the more he's causing himself damage. Once DeSantis pops out, Trump attacks him, that'll make Trump stronger. DeSantis, his best move right now is to fade into the background, disappear. And notice, where's Ron DeSantis? Like, dude, dude never came out and gave a big speech. Any politician in the last 30 years who won, the way he won in Florida, would have gone to the Heritage Foundation literally, truly, Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., and given a big speech about what America means and what it is, and fueled all the speculation about him becoming president. What did he do? So he, yeah. he shut up. They completely shut down everything, and they went quiet. It's this right political move. Let Donald Trump get out there, fight for relevancy, and create problems for himself. The best thing that Democrats can do is get DeSantis back into the spotlight. But they're not doing it because the Democrats are just Democrat. I don't I don't get it. <coughs> but, I mean, that,
6: you know. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks, um, Mikey. Have yeah, you yeah,
0: take, take care. Thanks so much. Stay, hey, Mike. Brenda, last question of the night. <clears throat> Voice is shot. And I've got uh, an, an otherwise scheduled uh, engagement I'm a little bit late to right now. Can you Brenda? hear me? I can hear you.
2: Okay, great. I have a couple of quick, easy questions. Yeah. Um, going back to messaging, have you heard or listened to any of Pete Budacek's interviews lately?
0: No. Should I?
2: Yeah, very good, I think. Um, sane and to the point, and doesn't go on and on and on.
0: He's fantastic. I mean, he's one of the best skilled politicians of this generation. I say this, he's younger than I am. Of the next generation, he's, yeah. he's, he's he's incredibly young. He's got a, he's got a remarkably bright future, and uh, maybe he's president, maybe he's not, but he's certainly not. He will be on the national stage for the next thirty years.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I, I find it interesting the way he just off the cuff can <coughs> handle it himself. So you know, well, these the tough why, questions. yeah.
0: The reason why I think he's so successful is first of all. He's a policy wonk that, 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 that can see the bigger picture. And that's rare. Most Democrats who are wonks, like they start to go down this road into an ideological crevice. What, what you'll notice what Pete Buttigieg almost always does is he'll answer the policy question, but then he'll set it into a broader framework. And that framework is really about America, the mythology of America and the American identity. He's not making a, this is the, 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 the righteous thing for progressives to do.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: And that's why it's so
2: powerful.
0: And that's why people respond to it. It's like, the guy talks like kind of a patriotic, he sounds kind of Republican, not because of his policy issues, but because he puts it in a a framework of the American idea. And Republicans are really, really good at doing that. There's no substance beneath it, but they're really, really good at setting the frame that says, this is what American is. Like, this, we're American. Everybody else is a critic of it because they're trying to make it better, right? That's what frustrates yeah. Democrats. It's like, I'm not, don't call me not patriotic, blah, blah, blah. And the Republicans are just like, look at my flag and look at my eagle. Like, I'm a patriot and you're not. Yeah. I play Lee Greenwood music and you don't. So you're not really an American. And that yeah. and that drives people crazy. Judge will be like, here's how you fix a bridge. Here's a historical challenge with the funding. But bridges are really important in American blah, 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 because this is our narrative and they da da. And you're kind of like going, how did that guy turn the bridge into something that is part of the American story? And, and he, he understands <laughs> that. Really he's just very, very well, he's, he's just very good at
4: it. Yeah. It's
2: really, I'm really drawn to him. My second question is um, a little putting you on the spot, I think, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Um, how many more cycles before Texas becomes purple? Well,
0: I mean, arguably it's purple now, but it, um, <clears throat> I've written extensively on this because a lot of my my work, going back to the 1990s, was about the difference between California and Texas and why one state became. Let me geek out on this a little bit. I'm, I'm gonna nerd out a little bit, but then I, I gotta go. <laughs> this is a really good question though. In the mid 1990s, when I was when I was at at Georgetown and I was writing my thesis work, a lot of a lot of my research work was focused on California and Texas. You have to remember in the mid 1990s. California had a Republican Senator and a Republican governor. Texas the governor was Ann Richards, a, a Democrat. And it was, it was not uncommon for Texans to elect Democrats and Republicans to, to be elected in California. If you look on paper, they have the same percentage of whites, the same percentage of Hispanics, the same percentage of African Americans. They've got both very diverse economies. They look almost identical on paper. So why does one become very, very blue and one become very, very red? And the answer was white voters. In Texas, white voters from the 1990s up until very recently were very conservative. In California, white voters that lived inland were were Republicans. White voters that lived on the coast were Democrats. And white white voters in California split 50-50. So when you have a 50 50 split between Republicans and Democrats and a growing black, brown, Asian base, that state's going to turn blue. And that's what happened to California in Texas, in Texas. If you're rich and white or poor and white and college educated and white or non-college educated and white didn't matter if you're white, you're conservative. There was no, there was no like very, very There was like a little bit of Austin and that was it. Now that has changed. What has changed is Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, all these urban communities are now homes to white college educated workers. And they're the ones that are turning Texas into a bluer position. They're the ones that brought it back from the mid 1990s when George W. Bush beats Ann Richards in 1994. It's been a Republican stronghold since up until the last three or four election cycles. And then you start to have white progressives like Beto O'Rourke start coming on the scene and saying, "We're going to challenge that narrative and we're going to run against that." Okay, so what that also means is, is but but they ran. What Texas? When 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 Democrats were saying we we're going to turn Texas blue, the huge mistake they were making, and I I've been saying this for years and I've written on it. I'm just not saying it now. It was all because the rising Hispanic vote. They thought it was going to do what California did they completely misunderstood what was happening not only with Hispanics, but with their own white base in Texas. So Texas started to become more blue, more Democrat as they started uh, getting an influx of white college educated workers into the urban core economies. You following me? Yes. The big problem was they're losing Hispanics to the right. So I don't think that Texas is becoming purple. I think it's actually going to get more red. And and I think that, um, uh, this the, the, I think part of the research I'm going to look at for, for this, what I'm working on right now is if you look at California, it's as much of an outlier now as Florida. Florida is really now the standard bearer of right of red states, not Texas. But Texas is I think moving back to a redder position. So the counterbalance to California and New York is going to be Texas and Florida, and mm. it's largely because of the Hispanic vote. Look what happened with Hispanics in Florida. Crazy right. Crazy shift right. Look where else it's happening most significantly. Texas. Okay? That's important because those Hispanics moving right, they're moving more Republican, are offsetting white voters moving left towards the Democrats. And so Democrats fundamentally misunderstood why Texas was getting more competitive. They thought it was because of the Hispanic vote, and it wasn't because of the white vote. And now they're losing the Hispanic vote because they weren't paying attention, and they're denying that it's a problem. And you look at the Rio Grande Valley, and you're like, "It's just math. It's happening." So unless yeah. you fix that problem, Texas is not going to come back into a competitive position. So I have
2: some, I have some ideas about that, but I'll save them for next week. Um, Let's do it next week. I'm in Texas, and
0: okay, I, I want to hear about it. I want to hear about it because I'm doing a lot okay. of work on this. I, you know, I used to work for a firm in San Antonio. Um, I, I'm, I've been studying Texas and studying California literally since the mid-1990s, so I'd love to have your ideas, but that in a nutshell is why California moved from a, a, a centrist right-wing leaning state for the home of Richard Nixon, we're the home of Ronald Reagan, and it's yeah. now the bluest of blue states. Democrats are the home of Lyndon Johnson and Ann Richards, right? Yeah, yeah. And now, and now they're, you know, they're also now the home of of not just George W. Bush, but of of Abbott and Ted Cruz? Like, how does that happen? Like, those are the questions that I'm fascinated by. The answer really is about college-educated white voters and Hispanic blue-collar working-class voters and those shifts. So thank you very much for the questions. Everybody, we'll dig deeper into Texas next time. I've appreciated you you guys. Yeah, Uh, we'll do it again next week. Probably not enough to cover before then, but thank you for joining Mic Drop. We'll talk to you again either at 5 or 5.30 on Wednesday, not too sure exactly which. But I'll let you guys know. Make sure you're subscribing if you haven't so you can get uh, the notice immediately. And we will talk to you guys next week.